A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? It feels like there is no hope now, said Arsenal captain Martin Odegaard after losing 3-0 to Brighton yesterday. Was he merely talking about this season? Was he articulating the futility of any normal team trying to stay the distance with this relentless Manchester City machine? Maybe it was even something more existential than that. Who knows? They were in understandably forlorn mood yesterday, the Arsenal players and indeed their manager. Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Pod. Hey, guys. Hey, Owen. How are you? Mikel Arteta, I saw a match today too yesterday, was being offered these softball questions. I felt the interviewer thought he needed a bit of a G up. And I was like, Mikel, it's okay. You know, Champions League next year, you've had such an amazing title race you should be so proud your players everyone's great and his response was along the lines of if we play like we did in the second half there we're going to get spanked in the Champions League <laughs> next year so please don't try to patronise me sir yeah. <laughs> they just they weren't in any mood for pats in the back I thought yesterday Lars Everton and John Bruin on the show today to talk about Arsenal and loads more our big interview with the Rocket Ronnie O'Sullivan goes out later today exclusively for World Service members it's worth signing up for in my opinion <laughs> No, it's it's great. Because Ryan Sullivan is a huge star. Yeah. It's debut on the World Service. (laughs) This isn't going to make any sense to our non members here who aren't aware of the little embargo snafu from Uh, last Friday. You know, sometimes when people make major blunders, it travels outside of the (laughs) room in which they made the major blunder. So I wouldn't be that surprised if a couple of them may have heard, you know, a few whispers. So, like I said, our Ryan Sullivan interview goes out later today. Yeah. Secondcaptains.com, five euro a month plus fat to hear all that and our coverage of the Champions League semi-final second legs during the week and loads more besides. Ken, please report on sport. So on, um, where to start? I'm surprised you didn't start with David Moyes. He got done again. <laughs> he got done again, but with another handball, another VAR handball goes against 
noisy. Mm. I mean, this, they're just taking the piss out of him. He talked about the disrespect on the first time. I he actually, I was I was surprised at how um, measured he was. Maybe it's because they lost two 0 and this would have been two one. But you know, well, if the, the ball chance. didn't hit his hand, it was going to hit his the bucket and spade that he has out in the beach now uh, for old Moisey. Oh, they're done. Well, I mean, that, that, if they're they if they managed to equalise in the game. It would have been, uh, you know, they, they would have been safe from relegation. I mean, they're kind of pretty much safe. Although, you know, if they lose 5 0 to Leeds, then they're right back in. Yeah. Uh, in the muck. I mean, he made nine oh, changes of ahead, course, of, ahead, ahead of Europe. So. I was thinking, I had him ahead last week. Oh, West Ham are safe. No one's reaching 37 points. There are a lot of bad teams playing bad football yeah. down near the bottom of the league. But, yeah, obviously, if West Ham. 5 0. Yeah. I mean, you should be able to avoid. Losing 5-0 to Leeds Who are You know Again We make the point In the relegation zone At the moment <laughs> So it's not like They're exactly flying high Well they're playing Leeds and Leicester In the last two games The two teams that are below them And you know Will mm. probably have to win I mean Leeds certainly And probably still Leicester So uh, I mean they'd still be re- They'd still need Everton and Nottingham Forest To be slipping up there as well To get relegated I think they're going to be okay but it does feel like Moyes hasn't quite had the fair crack of the whip with regards to handballs. No, I thought the one, the one yesterday was a joke. And I thought that they had um, changed the rules so that like this wasn't necessarily going to be a, you know, if there's a handball in the build-up to a goal, then it doesn't mean the goal is disallowed. Mm. You know, it's only if the guy punches it in. Um, but uh, they, this was Moyes, so they made an exception. Um, <laughs> so, you, we, I mean, you're talking about Arsenal. And, I mean... Arsenal got, you know, we can talk about Man City and their, you know, um, uh, the difficulty of competing with them, and and that's a fact. Um, But Arsenal found it very difficult to compete this season with Brighton. Um, I was looking at their stats from the game. I thought, wow, 292 passes. That must be their worst of the season, is it? Checked it. No, it's actually the third worst the worst was the other game against Brighton. 225 passes in that game. They actually won the game 4-2. That was Evan Ferguson's day. Yeah, of course. What a goal. Um, but they got, it was their worst passing performance of the season. Um, and the one uh, yesterday, uh, 292, was the third worst. Uh, only the Newcastle, they the, was, uh, the, the one against Newcastle last week, they had 291. Mm. So it was one pass better than that. So And that was, you know, the ball in play time was 14 minutes. Yeah, yeah, last, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last week's game, so. I mean, they got 400 in, in both, 400 plus, you know, in both games against Man City. But I suppose the, certainly one of them, they were kind of trailing. Uh, oftentimes you get a bit more possession if you're losing. But, um, yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever about being unable to compete with uh, with the top team in the league, this is a team that's given Arsenal some uh, serious problems. It's incredible what they're doing. Like, the confidence that they're playing with. Players who really nobody thought, I mean, Dunk, you know, we talked about him recently saying, I didn't think I could do this. Mm. Um, I believe he's showing them Michael Jordan videos now. Does yeah, I didn't couldn't see much more. It was one of the players said that they didn't say what video, just just some, just showing how Jordan gets psyched up for games. Apparently, you were talking about him last week. Huh? I hope it wasn't that awful. I was talking about him last week. Jordan, weren't you? Is missing. You know, I've missed nine thousand. Oh yeah, indeed. Um, Funny if I actually just watched that Air movie. Oh Matt, yeah, Matt Damon and good? Ben Affleck. I Owen, I watched one third of the Air movie, and then I thought I, don't, I can't watch any more of this. Wow. Is this what we're doing now? Making movies about like great moments in, in corporate history. Cor- corporate history. Yeah. This is what it is. 
<laughs> I do remember reading the bourbon. It's like, well, it can't be, it's obviously about that. I mean, what's it actually? Uh, no, no, no. That's literally it what is, it is. It's, it's it is. all in there. Phil Knight, the shoe dog. Ben Affleck Jordan. plays Phil, Phil Knight. Yeah, um, quite well. I, well, quite well. I don't I really don't know, know Phil, Phil Knight's persona, but I kind of feel like I know what Phil Knight is like now a little bit just by watching. He's that like movie. Ben Affleck. Yeah, it's like Ben Affleck in the town. Didn't know Phil Knight was married to J Lo, but there you have it. Not, um, not sure. Not sure. Phil Knight knew knew precisely what he was in for when he agreed to let Jordan take a slice of the mm. sales of the shoe. Ah, pretty much in perpetuity. Everyone's hey, doing everyone all right. Everyone ended up a winner, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, Nike had only seventeen percent market share, but they bet big. You yeah. know, so they didn't. They didn't spread it around on three let's let's spend all our money on three shitty players yeah, yeah why not one good player suggests matt damon with a searing business insight which revolutionizes america's shoe department you know there's a there's a there's a like these movies are so annoying like what the i mean because you, you know what's going to happen. happen you know it's not like and it's not like a historic event it's not worth making a movie about you know like the stakes of it are just not like the stakes are that people Matt, are obsessed Matt with Damon's Michael Jordan, especially in America. And you saw from the last dance how obsessed they are with Michael Jordan. They see him as one of the key American figures love in, to go on about Michael Jordan because they I do. Know I know. That. So hence they probably I get guess Matt Damon is, and Ben Affleck are thinking they might love to see a movie. About, I must say when they first unveiled the Air Jordan though, with the extra red in it, you know, because they were the there were league rules at the time that you got fined if you didn't have ninety five percent or more white in your sneaker, mm. and they said fuck that man. We're going to pay the fine. Wow. We're going to pay the fine on Jordan's behalf and we're going plenty of red. I, I did see it and go, that's a, that's a nice shoe. <laughs> I wish I'd <laughs> watched the rest of the movie now. But that was quite early on I'm in the movie. It, so it is owns out of 10 and now Owen no, really no, wants no. to buy some expensive runners. I, so I, basically I, don't, I, I, I want it on the record that this... I would Listen, if you... If, if you've nothing else on, you're struggling for something. You don't have a series in mind. Oh, don't even feel don't free watch to watch this. it. No, watch watch uh, Rocky Road to Dublin on YouTube. <laughs> Is it on YouTube? It's on YouTube it's in in like a high quality version. Wow. Yeah, does it, it's only got, it's been there for three years, years and it's got like less than ten thousand views. Well, there you go. This amazing Brighton team you're talking about got hammered five one by Everton last week. Yeah, <laughs> it makes or no sense. A couple of weeks ago. Yeah, last week. Well, well, Deserby said. Uh, we're not a big team because the thing about big teams is they forget when they win. So you win a game and then you go, all right, that was good. Now next time for the next game. Whereas at Brighton, we went, oh, we beat Man United. You know, we're great. And then sort of walked out into the pitch against Everton, assuming they'd steamroll them. And well, it didn't happen that way. But they were, they had, their heads were back in the game against Arsenal. We'll see if they can do it against Newcastle. I think they're, are they playing on Wednesday? And that's a huge game. Mm. You know, Newcastle lose that. And suddenly they're, you know, they, they, it means they need to win both of their remaining games, to be sure, um, if they were to lose this game to Brighton. But, um, yeah. I mean, just, I, I was so annoyed by that movie, Owen. <laughs> we're still talking about it. Hold on there. I, can I just say, I, I was so come, annoyed by it. I didn't come out here and recommend this movie highly. You, you seem to be getting very uh, flummoxed by the whole on, thing. On. You mentioned does, Jordan, does I mentioned Michael, I watched does, the movie does, and does, this has set you up. Well, it's because I, unfortunately, No, I didn't spent, think it was very good either. I spent a few minutes watching the movie until the point, I just, I can't, I forget what point it was I turned it off, but, you know, this stuff in it like, oh, um, but, but you're crazy, Matt Damon. The market for basketball shoes in America is one million shoes. <laughs> or there are one million people out there who will buy basketball shoes. And you're thinking, ah, but I know that... Matt Damon will get Jordan on board and they together will revolutionize uh, 
the image of basketball shoes such that almost everybody is wearing basketball shoes. Mm. But they don't know that yet in the movie. Is this irony? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was like, I can't, I can't believe I'm watching this. Though. Matt Damon's speech, and are we serious? He, he's projecting forward this? to all, all the things that are going to happen in Jordan's career as well, which seemed like a lot of foresight to have at the time. And they're they're fast because well, he watched that video over and over again, and he's like, "Look at this guy make the shot." That was you the know, one in, in college. Yeah, it's like these guys on his team know that this guy's a really good player, even though he's only 18. That you know, and you're like, <laughs> so what? Like, I mean, what? So what? Are we seriously? Is this seriously okay, the best okay, you can do? Okay, I would okay, rather okay. see a superhero. Does Michael Jordan appear in the movie, actually? Who plays him? No. No, no. Because they, they, you couldn't have anyone play Jordan. He's too iconic. It's like that. It um, would overshadow like the whole movie. You, don't see, you always just see the back of his head. His parents are in it. His mother it comes across a very it's smart, like, uh, shrewd person. in uh, Ben-Hur when they say that we cannot even show the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, did they do that in Ben-Hur? I mean, yeah, you see a sandal. Yeah, you see a sandal and then you see him like pour the water into Charlton Heston's big mouth. Does Charlton Heston well, say truly right. you are the son of God or is that Mr. No, Burns' version? No, no, no. Uh, John Wayne plays one of the uh, soldiers but I think that might actually be the greatest story ever told not Ben-Hur. Oh, yeah. I don't think... Is John Wayne or Ben-Hur? I, mean, I, can't, I can't imagine no, he's appearing not, no, Ben-Hur to no, be... No, no, There's a crucifixion scene in one Charlton of those Heston. sword and sandal uh, biblical epics from the 1950s and John Wayne comes in for his, like, one line, Truly, this man is the son of God. I think... I think it's the greatest story ever Yeah. I mean, Ben-Hur, you know, there's a movie. No, but it, no, but they just on. don't make them like they used well, to. They got they got Gore Vidal in to help with the script on that because it was such a turkey, <laughs> and he was like, "Okay, I know what to do." Um, it is John uh, Wynn, the greatest, greatest story ever told. We've got this. We've got this character uh, Judah Ben Hur. Yeah, uh, we've got this uh, his his mate who turns into who becomes a Roman soldier. Masala. Masala. Yeah. What we're gonna do is, um, in, you know, inject some undertones into their relationship yeah. such that like there's a kind of an unspoken connection between them mm. which is going to intensify the emotions experienced by the audience although no one's going to say it out loud exactly what's <laughs> going on but we're going to but we're definitely not going to this is Gorbadal actually said <laughs> we're definitely not going to mention this to Charlton <laughs> the thought of so much wood <laughs> crashing to the ground uh, filled everyone on the set with terror so he was blissfully unaware of, of what was happening uh, but you know it, it worked out well this fucking Jordan thing I mean there I, was a there, but, but there seems to be a few of these movies like I saw did you see the movie Tetris no that's like the same thing but but better um, it's about like the movie it's about or the Tetris yes yeah. have you ever wondered how Tetris became such a popular game no I bet you never, bet you never did no. but actually this story is more interesting than you think it's the guy you know your man who played Elton John do you know Oscar yeah his name again um, Taron Egerton. Taron, yeah. So, and he Egerton. he 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 has to go to the Soviet Union, and it's a Russian. Someone in Russia has mm. invented the game, and you know he's got to go in and out. So, it was it was more interesting than the Jordan one. There's one about like I've seen posters for a movie which appears to be about the BlackBerry. <laughs> no, really, really, the it's, invention of the BlackBerry. Yeah, I mean, iPhone Nano, the untold story is coming out next year as well. I'm sure. Listen, Ken. The premier season is roaring to a crescendo here. Okay, we have to get back on track. Well, they should make them. You know, they, they can. It would be more interesting to if if this is what we're now doing. Just write a movie about Roberto Deserbi, mm. a t- Roberto Deserbi team talk. Yeah, 
I saw him described by Bernie Rone in The Guardian today as an alpha squirrel. <laughs> which, <laughs> which I think is just... I don't know why it's so accurate, but it is extremely accurate. Um, the the game was kind of was very disappointing for us. I mean, it kind of went wrong from the start. Uh, I thought the referee was really bad again, as usual. This um, there was a classic example of the stupidity of. Uh, I'm I'm where now I'm mounting my uh, familiar hobby horse, but the referee, Annie Madley, I think it was, doesn't take any action against Martinelli for absolutely. Mm. Very um, dangerous tackle. Well, he just absolutely cleans out Matoma in the air, deliberately knocks him to the ground. It's 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 a really obvious yellow card, if not like possibly a red card. I don't think you're going to give a red card for that because it's kind of, they're sort of jumping front. He doesn't actually elbow him. But it's definitely a yellow card, right? There's no doubt about it. He doesn't try to get the ball. He just, he, he, he hits him dangerously in the air, knocks him down and wins him. Should be like nothing. Right, doesn't uh, did he give a foul? I assume he gave a foul. Didn't book him though. Should have booked him. What happens? Revenge. Caicedo. Caicedo was like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, let's see, let's see how you like it, and slides in from behind on Martinelli, uh, gets nowhere near the ball, crushes his ankle a bit. Uh, Martinelli has to go off injured. Probably not going to play again this season, I guess. Um, no yellow card. And a little high five between Casado yeah, Mito- and Matoma and Casado. Yeah, you know, I see what you did there. I mean, everybody understood it, but this is like, apparently this is what they want now. Just leave it to the players to sort out. We'll randomly hand it, we'll randomly hand out red and yellow cards at times just to annoy the, people. The old, the, there's the old school ice hockey thing where they used to have the enforcer type character. Mm. Yeah. Who basically, the skillful guys. Martinelli is no one's idea of the. Of no, that's I my point. Yeah, can I say yeah. Who wants to watch? Who wants to watch Gabriel Martinelli play football anyway? You know, he's just like some guy. Like, I mean, why? You know, this is exactly the kind of tackle Caicedo's tackle. I mean, there are some people saying it's not a bad tackle. It is a bad tackle. It's exactly the kind of tackle that that rule is designed to. You're, you're not supposed to be able to tackle players from behind for this exact reason. This is the kind of injury that that happens. Not even a booking, even though it, it was obviously revenge. Um, really, really stupid, uh, idiotic refereeing. Although I think the, the linesman probably linesman at one point flagged offside, even though it was a throw. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> this is all you're dealing with. But as for the game, obviously the, the title race is over now. I mean, it's not mathematically, but it kind of is. I mean, Arsenal kind of already knew it was, I think, but it's still sad when it happens in a half-empty stadium um, because everybody's left and you you lose three 0 having been totally outplayed. Um, Odegaard comes off and says yeah it feels like there is no hope now <laughs> <laughs> I was quite struck by that quote <laughs> just uh, talking about the, the football uh, Arteta um, you can't do what we did in the second half if the team is capable of doing that when it comes to the biggest stage there are a lot of things we have to think about and analyse it's really upset by it I mean obviously they, they were outplayed and it's kind of a bigger story than just the goals um, the the first goal was terrible though I mean this is the, I guess the decisive goal um, scored by Enciso but the way that Brighton scored it, it's just a long ball Mitoma brings it down gets to it first brings it down holds it up by dribbling around a little bit but not really going anywhere and he's just waiting and waiting and waiting for the overlap which eventually arrives and it takes so long to arrive it's almost funny to see how long Mitoma has to hang off the ball because he knows this is going to happen he just has to not lose the ball until it does and eventually a stupid man comes um, steaming uh, pursued at some distance by Saka, who you know didn't, evidently was not alive to this 
situation. Stupidon gets there first. The, the ball goes in, the uh, first time cross. Arsenal get a bit unlucky with the way it bounces back. And then meantime, in the middle, Kivior, the, the central defender, has felt Evan Ferguson's toe uh, stand on his boot and pull off the boot. And so he just like kneels down on the ground as though he's injured yeah. and stops playing. The ball is crossed back in again, bounces over Tierney's head and onto and Caesar's head, and it's a goal. And Kivior is like, "Well, I was hoping VAR would intervene. So <laughs> we can barely see anything happening. You know, you can't just say, "Oh, I don't have a boot." You have to keep playing. So um, there was a lot, I think, for Arteta to be annoyed about. Um, and then the second goal is a bad mistake by Trossard. He's kind of dumped in it a little bit, maybe by Ramsdale. I mean, passes ball, Gross is putting him under pressure. He well, Ramsdale certainly didn't seem to feel it was his own fault. There's a lot yeah, of remonstrating. I mean, Ram- Ramsdale is doing what he's told to do, I suppose. You know, but but if you look at Ramsdale, he does take a little bit of time to decide what to do, and then he by the time he passes it to Trossard, Gross is like kind of closing him down, and then Trossard just tries this flick, um, which is which is just a reckless thing to do. The in that camera situation. immediately panned to Ramsdale and that's decision made. The court, in the court of public opinion, mm, yeah. as decided by the TV director, it's the, the goalkeeper's fault. The TV director decides. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you know. That's why we've seen so much of Gavin Bazunu this season. Every, <laughs> every time I watch matches today, it's like, don't, just don't cut back to Bazunu. I, you could maybe make an argument he wasn't to blame for that one, but there it is. Straight back to him. Uh, <laughs> the third was just, a, was a Ramsdale parry. Maybe this was Ramsdale's fault. You know, you shouldn't, you know, do you have to do a bit better parrying the ball? Uh, Stephen Ennick, of course, is the first on the scene again, the the Brighton uh, left-back. So, um, yeah, a really a really big win for Brighton. I mean, you could see how happy the Zerbi was because, I mean, the team played really well. It wasn't like a lucky win. It was like full-spectrum dominance at the home of the title challengers. Uh, Patrick Vieira was there as well. Says they need to be more physical. Um, Arsenal need to be more competitive, more physical. Odegaard's been the technical leader. They're missing a physical leader, a leader who can get at the back of players when they're not performing at the right level. Are Arsenal too collegial? Are they too... Is it more like a group of 11 friends or 15 friends or 16 friends or whatever rather than, you know, uh, a winning machine? You know? You need to have your... Yeah, I always feel like it's a bit of a weird uh, criticism to have of a team. They like each other a little too much. Yeah. I don't, yeah. They're not prepared to dig each other out. Yeah. I don't know. They do seem like awfully quiet lads in that Amazon documentary, I must say. You think? I know that's just... Shaka. Shaka, I'm talking about in as regards team meetings and stuff mm. with Arteta. Shaka's the only one who speaks up in any way. He's, it's, it's Ramsdale. Often throwing to Ramsdale does a bit of speaking. Ramsdale, yeah. Yeah, more so in the dressing room after games, it seems, at Ramsdale. And I'm aware I'm judging this entirely on whatever way this thing was edited. You know, <laughs> you can see another few hours of footage that shows completely different things. But they were they seemed very meek in those team meetings when Arteta was throwing stuff at There you go. Who was that, Ramsdale? Arteta. That, that was Arteta. That was Arteta. Of course, he didn't have the light bulb in his fault. hand at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... it's Good it's little tough. artist, Arteta. His yeah. little doodles are actually quite quite impressive, I think. Quite impressive? Well, as in... I mean, he, he, he knows did the one of the heart and the brain. Yeah. Is that I, the one I you mean? I couldn't draw... Yeah, he doesn't know. He does a lot of doodling, but they're the ones... Yeah, they're, they're the ones that went... Yeah. Well. I mean, so it got the message across, and it's all, this is all you're really looking for. It doesn't have to be photorealistic. 
you know if you asked me to draw weird. a brain i wouldn't i would be unable to draw a convincing I, I, and then i showed you what i'd drawn or if i just showed you what i draw i don't know if you'd be able to tell me that's a brain do you know what i mean that's how poor my art skills are. we might do we might do yeah that let's do stage. that you did ask me to draw a map of europe once for your political podcast it didn't go well <laughs> that was bad <laughs> that was kind of let's not have that up in the office in case someone else sees it bad <laughs> Uh, I should just mention that... What the, famous Mediterranean civilization did Owen completely forget about? <laughs> <laughs> was it Italy? He just left it off. I think it might have been the Greeks. Greece. They got Greece. The Greek, <laughs> Greece might have got... The Greece got screwed there. Um, I, I should mention that I see, I see Martin Keon has been on TalkSport complaining about the bias of Martin Tyler's commentary. Uh, I mean, it's not the first time someone's complained about the bias of Martin Tyler's commentary. We just usually don't mention it because they aren't, you know... Uh, a respected football <laughs> but Martin Keown he is an awesome man uh, how biased is the commentary team it's frightening Martin Tyler is a great professional but he simply cannot hide that it hurts him that Arsenal might win a game of football we know Neville's got the problem uh, he was almost apologising when he said we should be sending Martinelli off um, now Martin Tyler apparently is biased hates Arsenal according to Martin Keown can we actually just listen to Martin Tyler's commentary on the on the first Brighton goal here this is in Cizo's goal again Well, that's Martin's. <laughs> that's goal number one. Can we have goal number two? Maybe, you know, this is a, a stunning performance by Brighton against the, his hated Arsenal. You know, the, mm. they're really, the, there's a stake being driven through the heart of the foul uh, vampire here by Brighton. And our Martin Taylor, Martin Taylor can finally get celebrating after worrying for so long that they might actually win the title. Cross up. Mike Rose is onside. And under has surely wrapped it up for Brighton. Central Arsenal's hash here. I mean, doesn't sound that. He's like, not that ecstatic. Well, I mean, he, he should be happy. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe there was other things that annoyed Martin Keane. It is funny, though, just how. Uh, it, many it, fans, <laughs> many media clubs yeah. feel that Martin Martin Tyler is against theirs. Is it just that he's not getting excited enough about the goals anymore? I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, for Arsenal, so there's all, there's all this, oh, Arsenal, but, you know, this endlessly tedious. Um, Discussion over whether they're losers, etc. When they're actually the only team that's made a that's made the title look like any kind of a contest, um, I think that the big thing for them now is you know how they are able to start next season. I mean, if you look at the teams who finished second in the Premier League over the last twelve seasons, four of them managed to go on to win the title the following year. So they were Man United, Man United in 2013, Man City in 2014, Liverpool in 2020, Man City 2021. But it's just as common for teams to go from second down to sixth place. This happened to Chelsea 2012, uh, Liverpool 2015, um, uh, Man United 2019. This was after the Jose yep. second place. And Man United again in 2022. They finished second, obviously, in Ronaldo and Celsius, then collapsed to sixth. Um, and not a great sixth. A uh, 58.6, I think it was. Sixth, I think it was. Um, Oh, Ralphie. Uh, Liverpool went down to fifth this season. Well, they're, they're currently in fifth, having finished second uh, last season. Arsenal did it in 2017. They, they had finished second to Leicester. What I'm saying is that it can be, I think it's difficult for a team that's finished second, if they start the following season badly, not to collapse. Mm. It's like, because it's, it's, it's a kind of a, obviously to, to lose like a couple of games in the opening few games of the season is, is demoralizing anyway because you're kind of like oh. but if you've if you've kind of been used to this idea that we're kind of 
fighting for the most important uh, title. And then suddenly you realize we're, we're actually not going to get anywhere close to what we did. We, have, we sort of have to do everything we did last year again. Thinking of all the games that you won, all of the like narrow victories that they had, all of the brilliant performances that they've put in, and then having to sort of do it all again. If they start well, they can keep doing it. And if uh, so, the, the first I think the first few games of next season are so critical for them. You know, just that the bubble doesn't burst, particularly with this Manchester City factor. <clears throat> well, you know, the Man City factor. Uh, obviously, they, they destroyed everything. Although Yerry Mina left his mark on Holland. Uh, seemed to come off the pitch covered in scrapes from Yerry Mina's long nails, uh, which Pep Guardiola wasn't happy about. Um, I, I mean, City obviously won very easily. I was, I was watching the game and, you know, I was kind of thinking, City are wobbling a bit here. This isn't great. They're not playing well. And then bang, goal, Gundo, and then bang, 2-0. <laughs> I've never seen, a, I mean, I have seen a game won in like two minutes uh, many times, often by the City team. Um yeah, I mean, it wasn't, let's say, the outcome wasn't a surprise to anybody. Yeah. Um, I did see an interview with Carlos Tevez, a city legend, who... Uh, has a rare been, legend who straddles both parts of the Manchester divide. More of a city legend than a Manchester United legend, I would say, although he did win the Champions League uh, with Manchester United, of course, and was a very important player for them in his time there. For but... <laughs> Uh, he's he's been uh, complaining about England uh, on uh, radio in Argentina. I didn't want to learn English. Uh, I wanted them to learn Spanish, but it turns out he he refused. It wasn't just that he didn't learn English because he kind of didn't bother picking it up. It's that yeah. he, he was actively refusing to do it. He got on moral grounds. Yeah, uh, I have an uncle who played in River Plate. He's the only River supporter in my family. He played in the reserve team, and when he was going to make his debut with the first team, he got called up to fight in the Falklands War. After that, he suffered and became an alcoholic. That marked me a lot because he was very close to me. So basically he's saying, yeah, I'm not going to talk that nonsense. Um, uh, my feelings in England were, okay, I'm here for work, but I'm not getting used to English culture. Very few people know this story, but today I can tell it. You want to speak to me? Then you learn Spanish because I'm not going to learn English. Uh, he says, uh, 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 Marbella. It says here, I'm, I'm reading an account in the Daily Mail, Susana Jimenez, the Argentine Oprah Winfrey who interviewed Tevez, pointed out another South American celeb model, Evangelina Anderson, had bought a house in the sun-kissed Spanish resort of Marbella. Now, I have no context for why yeah. she told <laughs> why him that. Bring this up? Seems like a non-sequitur. But Tevez laughed as he replied, yes, but Marbella is different from Manchester. You can buy a holiday house in Marbella. But I'm never going back to Manchester, not even on holiday, not for anything. Of course, I would buy a house in Marbella. Uh, uh, but why is Manchester so bad? Devers replied, the weather, everything, it has nothing. For example, in Marbella, you can buy a house by the beach, relax there, and later you can go there on holiday and everything. <laughs> but a house in Manchester? On top of that, a house in Manchester costs six or seven million pounds. Pounds! It's better to rent, and that's that. <laughs> so, I don't know... Maybe, wow. yeah, I suppose the kind of houses he was looking at probably cost six, yeah. uh, seven million pounds. Summerby's ambassadorial role is uh, safe enough, I think, for another couple of years. Carlos Tevez is going to be taking it off of him. <laughs> I'm never going back there. <laughs> not not even an Aldi. Okay, we get the message. Um, what was it? Okay, so the Leeds-Newcastle game was, was a kind of an interesting um, one, uh, the early one on Saturday. It had this incident where Eddie Howe was assailed by a fan. Yeah. Which I didn't think was good. 
Not I mean, there was, there, there was a couple of these types of incidents over the weekend. If you saw what happened to Barcelona, Barcelona won the league at Espanyol. Um, and then we're celebrating on the pitch in a way that the Espanyol fans decided was not uh, was not acceptable. So they invaded the pitch and chased them up the tunnel, uh, which Barcelona obviously were, were pretty unhappy about. Although, um, was it Sky where I was watching it? The, com- the Spanish co-commentator was like, hmm. Let's, let's just say, right, when, when you get a pitch invasion of fans who appear intent on attacking a team, usually you're kind of thinking, this is bad. This shouldn't be happening. This guy was like, Barcelona is celebrating. I think maybe it's a little bit too much. Uh, you know, it's not what you want to see, but at the same time, it is understandable. <laughs> so that was one of the... But this guy came up to Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe doesn't say... Eddie Howe's quote was, I can't repeat what he said, but it makes you think, what if? It was personal to me. We need to be mindful of security. Nobody should have to feel their personal safety is violated when trying to entertain the country. That's true. I didn't have time to be fearful. It was over in a flash, but it made me think about things after. It was... Uh, it wasn't a good moment. Um, Is it too soon to make the gag about being surprised that Jason Tindall wasn't there to shake the hand first? If the guy had had any sense of banter, he would have gone up to Tindall. Yeah. And it costed him. But uh, but he didn't. He, he went straight for what he perceived to be the top man. Uh, I noticed that also uh, uh, Louise Taylor has an interesting detail in a, um, a little uh, Newcastle bit in The Guardian. Uh, former Newcastle managers, most notably Rafael Benitez and Alan Pardew and Steve Bruce, were frequently seen out and about in the city suburbs doing supermarket shops, eating in restaurants, and in Bruce's case, walking his dog. Mm-hmm. Mostly they were left alone, but conversations with locals proved invariably polite and friendly. So it's a shame that Eddie Howe lives a more reclusive life, with Newcastle's managers sometimes even leaving his house in disguise. Really? <laughs> Apparently so, I hadn't heard that. Uh, Louise Taylor says so let's hope the shock at being shoved in the chest by a Leeds fan who invaded the technical area during Saturday's tumultuous two-old road down the road featuring three penalties one missed and a red card does not further heighten his anxiety it was mercifully an extremely rare incident okay Um, I didn't realise he he went out in disguise but I suppose maybe he's uh, you know uh, I, I I can't imagine that he's worried about Newcastle fans being hostile towards him. But he is a busy man. You know what I mean? It's, it's I'd say it's the opposite of hostility. I'd say he's just being mm, badgered too much for love. hours. Too much love. Too much love can kill you, as uh, Freddie Mercury sang. Uh, Almiron. Oh, what was it? Oh, yeah. They're, 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 they've been linked with Dominic Sobosly, uh, Newcastle, the uh, rather handy... A Leipzig and Hungary player who plays right wing where Almiron plays mm. but I well, suppose he's not he, he, even this season he hasn't been playing the last 10 or 12 games really has he? Um, he's only been coming on well yeah he did he did come on so yeah it looks as though they're, they're gonna upgrade there thanks for all the goals um, <laughs> thanks for pa- igniting this entire yeah. Eddie Howe era there <laughs> to Almiron. be fair I'll never forget we'll, we'll never forget Miguel. the role you played <laughs> uh but yeah, and now uh, we've set you free. Speaking of Leeds, actually, Leeds have, a, have have also put out a statement saying this is more Leeds fan stuff. Uh, social media behaviour. Overnight, Patrick Bamford and his family have received completely unacceptable online abuse, including several threats via Twitter. The time for this behaviour to stop is now. Those making threats do not reflect our fan base and are not welcome in our club. We'd like to thank those supporters who reached out to Patrick and his family to show their support. Yeah, I mean, Bamford had another nightmare, really. Um... He he had like penalty. he had the miss of the season almost against Leicester, 
And this is a game which, if they, if Leeds had won, and they, they, you know, with that goal, they, they, they're winning the game, then they'd be considerably safer than they could. They would still wouldn't be completely safe, but this is a, this is a goal. It's got to go in. Um, and then he gets the penalty, and I couldn't believe it wasn't Rodrigo uh, taking it, but for some reason, that Bamford have a goal, and it really just never looked like scoring. Uh, I mean, you can see, you always say that when someone doesn't score. Uh, but it was one of those. If there were, if there was ever a type of penalty that was going to be uh, saved, uh, it's it's one that looks a bit like this. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B two B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B two B either. That's why if you're a B two B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Never forget the true nature of this city. Listen, you screwheads. Here is a man who would not take it anymore. A man who stood up against the scum, the dogs, the filth. Here is someone who stood up. And this bike, by the way, I'd only had for two weeks. What happened to it? Dublin happened to it. Dublin has kicked the shit out of the bike. There was a few minutes when I blithely believed that I lived in a civilized city. I arrived home. It was already dark. There was rain and mud everywhere. Oh my god, this town! So I thought to myself, no need to drag my bike through the house, given that all I'm doing is, you know, getting changed and getting my stuff and going to the pool. So I'll just leave it here beside the front door. Not on the street. I was in the house for probably for eight to ten minutes. What the bag? I said, I don't know. I haven't put a bag in ages. Just give me some. And there's nobody on the street. And it's dark. And there's not even any foot traffic. Open the door. Bike's gone. Oh my god, this town! It's actually been taken from outside my front door in an eight minute period of being unguarded. And this bike, by the way, I'd only had for two weeks. This bike was given to me by my brother. Oh my god, this town! And I'm thinking, why? What happened to it? Dublin happened to it. Never forget the true nature of this city. John Bruin is with us today. John, how are you? 
I'm okay. I know. Thanks for having me, Owen. No, you spent the day watching, wallowing in other people's misery, watching Southampton get relegated. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But there's plenty of misery to go around at Arsenal as well. Lars Siverson is with us too. Lars, how's the form? Hello, hello. Very good, very good. Mikel Arteta apologised to the supporters yesterday, Lars, for the lack of a performance. Does Mikel Arteta and do Arsenal have anything to apologise for after this fine season they put together? In, in, in the big picture, probably not. In the grand scheme of things, probably not. I keep seeing this uh, debate. Uh, I heard it on a, on a well-known English sports network recently. Is the Arsenal season, is it great progress or, or is it an opportunity missed? Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so obvious that it's both. And I don't I don't see that, that how that's even a, con- a contradiction. It is clearly both. If, if you start the season... You know, the Arsenal recently, their last couple of seasons, they finished fifth, eighth, eighth, fifth, sixth and fifth, right? That's that's where they've been at. And they've got something like the fifth or sixth biggest wage bill and they have one of the youngest squads in the league. If that's your starting point ahead of the season and you end up being the only team that can hang with the Man City Death Star and you get close to 90 points, you've obviously had a great season. But, but also... Well, is it five and six now for City? And they, they, they're they this sort of unstoppable machine that no one can get near. If you have put yourself in a position to, 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 to you know, be not that far away from actually getting ahead of them, you have had, you have been in an opposite, you have been in a position, you know, you've had an opportunity which has been lost. So it's, it's clearly both the tremendous progress and, and an opportunity missed, I think. John, it was a bit miserable how it all ended. I mean, I know, it's, again, it's not 100% we've, we've uh, finished, but how it pretty much all unraveled yesterday. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I suppose if you, I, I suppose the best thing you could say is that the the two teams that have entertained us most of the season are Arsenal and Brighton, and it was good that it was a team like Brighton that, that finished it off. I thought Brighton were, were brilliant in the game, as they have been for much of the season. But um, Arsenal pretty much running on empty, weren't they? Um a lot of psychic energy has been used up in recent weeks when things have started going up against them. They, you know, the, the, when we look, we think about the, the matches that went against them, um, when they talked about that draw at Anfield has been a good result, it wasn't, you know, it mm-hmm. wasn't. They let the game get away from them. And I think since that point, it's always been that inevitability. Um and I, I, I agree with what, what Lars has to say. I think that this has been a season of great progress for Arsenal, um, but they also have thrown away the opportunity. And you can do both. Well, I am interested in how you're both so nuanced about this, Lars. I see there's one more person far more definitive about it. Jake Humphrey tweets, I hate this narrative that Arsenal bottled it. They've pushed one of the PL's greatest ever teams all the way and done it with a young coach and young players who finished fifth last season. It is nothing but a success. They fell short. They'll be stronger for it, Lars. Well, I, 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 I really, you've, put, you've really blindsided me here. I was not aware that I agreed with Humphrey. That's just something that's a terrible. You can't drop that on a guy this, this early. Well, do you, well, no, nothing, well, nothing but a success. Well, do you agree with him? It's nothing. Okay, you're saying that it's not a bottle job, but also Humphrey is saying it's nothing but a success, which it, doesn't seem to be what, what yeah, you Yeah, no, I guess uh, maybe that's the element of it. I yeah. think once you, again, which I was, I kind of stumbled on my words a bit earlier, once you have managed to put yourself in a position where actually finishing ahead of Man City is something you can realistically do. You, you've got to feel that that's you have let something slip. And it's also just the way I know they, they just clearly ran out of juice here in, in this game. But in the last couple of games, like against Newcastle and against Chelsea, 
they played like a, like something had been like a weight had been lifted from their shoulders a little bit. It's almost like that the defeat to City was was weirdly cathartic. It's like we don't have to be panicked about keeping City at bay anymore. We can just play football again. Certainly, without wanting to psychoanalyze too much from the outside, it certainly looked like uh, an example of uh, of the pressure being lifted and then 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 having struggled with the pressure earlier. And it's just like. Like John said, that second half against Liverpool was not good. And just dropping points against West Ham and Southampton. It's just, you know, I'm sure we'll get to Southampton and then John's experiences on the South Coast, but that's not a good way to go. Is it high performance, John, to simply think of everything <laughs> you do as as success? Do you think Jay Humphrey thinks everything he does is a success? Well, maybe that's the secret of... It probably of, does. He probably does, you know. So maybe, maybe this is this is part of it, yeah. That... Um, and we'll get to this with Southampton, but this is part of, like, maybe the changing face of football is that we're gauging success differently now, aren't we? It's all part of this LinkedIn culture that has surrounded uh, business and it's moved into football now. And, you know, maybe maybe Mikel Arteta needs a session uh, of uh, high performance with Jake uh, to, 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 you know, maybe sharpen up a few things and we go again. Because one thing that would be failure would be for Arsenal to fail to build on this season. Um, because, OK, if you surprise yourself by going so far along in the season and then it falls apart at the end, then you can... There's no way that you can't be disappointed. Like, anyone trying to claim that there's no disappointment in what happened with Arsenal this season is not telling the truth. Mm. Uh but you've got to build on that. And this is where, you know, this has been a season funny with Arsenal where Stan Cronker, do you remember him? Remember this guy that all the Arsenal fans hated and, you know, was holding them back and all that? Not heard a mention of him all season. But this summer is where someone like Stan Cronker comes back to the fore. Will the Arsenal board back mm-hmm. Arteta give him the players that he wants? That's the sphere we're moving into now. And the players should be Declan Rice plus... One, I mean, is this is that what a they strike uh, a, a striker? So you you think you think it would be someone to replace Gabriel Jesus in the first team? Mm, I don't know. Well, I suppose yeah. If this is this is the difficult thing about the position Arsenal are in now. I think is that it's easy to replace a terrible player. I mean, it's not yeah. easy. You, you know, the player you buy not, may not be better, but there's a good chance he's going to be better than the than the one you're replacing. But it's kind of more difficult. To, when you when you get to the point of Arsenal, they've actually got strong players in every position in their first team. You know, when everyone's fit, what do you do? Mm. This is one of the areas where there is a tangible difference between the the two title claimants this season, Man City mm. and and Arsenal. You know, when when Nathan Ake gets injured, City turn to to Kyle Walker, who costs fifty million pounds and has won the league a bunch of times and has a bunch of caps. And is just whereas when Arsenal lose a man in defence, they turn to Rob Holding. It's just not quite the same. Well, in in attack, in those sort of wide attacking roles, Man City have got like Grealish, Foden, Bernardo Silva, and Mares sharing two spots somehow. Whereas with Arsenal, it's um, you know God bless them, but you know if you need to rest Martinelli or Bukayo Saka, you're looking at Trossard or Emil Smith Rowe or something, and it just isn't the same thing. And and this sort of incredible uh, op- squad options is the thing that Man City can have that Arsenal maybe don't have. Yeah. And I think actually the point Lars makes there, which I think is interesting, is that if Arsenal sign a player now over the summer, that player will expect to move into Arsenal's first team 
Mm. Whereas if you sign for Manchester City, you don't necessarily expect to start. So you can sign a player like Mares, like Jack Grealish. As much as they would like to play, they cannot expect to be in the first team. But Arsenal is a different club and it doesn't have such a, a deep squad. So it's more difficult, isn't it, to sign players? Because you can't sign any players to say, well, you're probably going to be on Leandro Trossard's level. Well, that's difficult. Um, if you go to sign players, it's you're going to be a big part of this club, son. You know, we, we, you know, it's 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 difficult, and it shows the success of Manchester City mm. and being able to build that squad. Obviously, wealth has made a big part of it. But yeah, the, the point you strike on, Ken, how do Arsenal refresh? I don't really know the answer to that, apart from yeah, okay, Declan Rice would be an upgrade, but within that squad, there are upgrades to make, but the, but the ability to get hold of that player. Is, is is difficult. Yeah. Well, the other the, the other factor which we haven't sort of mentioned specifically yet, in, in terms of why Arsenal seemed to lose it in the last few weeks, mm-hmm. um, why they kind of faltered at the at the critical moment. Um, how much of it has to do with the with the psychology of of competing against a team that you've already um, today, Lars, described as a death star? I mean, it was an interesting choice of words. Perhaps you could explain why you've heard to this great Manchester City team using such a sinister image and whether uh, whether there's something about competing with this team that feels not normal. Well, it's, and I, I should stress, it's the second Death Star, not the first one that had like the exhaust port that was relatively easy to find. The second <laughs> one had like a big shield around it as well. So they needed to... So what, what Mikel Arteta has done is, is just failed to make a significant suitable alliance with the Ewoks, I think, is is the really key and to, to take down the thing. Um, I, I Listen, I've, I've looked at some numbers, Ken. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know you're a big admirer of, of the XG and, oh, and yeah. that sort of thing. And I've looked at the numbers before the World Cup and after the World Cup. And uh, the first part of the season, up and until the World Cup, actually Arsenal had the lowest XG against in the league. And in the second half, if you rank the league according to XG against, they're something like 11th. Like teams that have conceded a higher XG in the since the World Cup include, uh, lower, I mean, teams who have been lower, uh, better defensively according to the XG, include but are not limited to Crystal Palace, uh, Brentford, Tottenham and Chelsea, right? So you are competing with this unbelievable team. And to paraphrase a very popular TV show, if you if you come at the king, you best not defend like that. Like you, you, you've got you've got to you've got to be flawless. To to you know when you have a team that's effectively, I don't think I'll get in trouble for saying that, effectively backed by a nation state, pretty much, uh, and and coached by the sort of uh, preeminent tactical brain of his generation. And we've not even mentioned the the striker they have in front this season. Like it's it's incredibly difficult to even get an air. I mean, you have to be completely flawless across the season. And doing that when you have the six biggest, fifth or sixth biggest wage bill in the league, one of the youngest squads in the league, is incredibly difficult. Arsenal were able to do it for half a season, but but not the second half. John, it is always worth remembering Man City are facing 115 charges of breaking Premier mm-hmm. League financial rules over a nine-year period. Haven't lost a game since the charges, though. David Snape points out he wrote a very good piece this morning in the 42 talking about how they had just lost to Spurs before those charges were made public. And since then, as Ken says, they've had 11 wins and one draw, which is absolutely extraordinary. Back when they lost to Spurs, you had Jamie Carragher questioning, is Erling Haaland in the right team? Are Manchester City a worse team with him in there than they were previously? All that was going on. There's this, there's this thing that can't be ignored in the background. Manchester City 
contesting these charges and how long that's going to take to resolve itself, we don't know. I mean, in ways, it's a miracle that Arsenal were able to compete for as long as they did. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't dismiss that at all. Um, the, 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 way, the way that Manchester City put that run together uh, reminds me of... Um, remember when John Terry used to play really well when it was a subject of controversy or <laughs> or when or, or when Lee Bowyer put together that that run of amazing yeah, club for Leeds when he was up in was, was incredible just this just this point of like vindication of just like you're not going to stop us and obviously the Harlem thing um Lars didn't get this wrong though I did and a few others saying is he going to fit in this team well <laughs> It, he did in, in the end, didn't he? Oh. Uh, and actually, just just watching over the goals from Everton uh, a few minutes ago, um, that second goal was just so just sort of bludgeoned home. And oh, like, the right, leap! Let's... The leap is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the header actually isn't even that good, but the leap yeah. is just amazing. You know, he gets up so high; it's just the perfect timing, and then he kind of actually doesn't edit that well but it doesn't no, matter but it's just like bludgeon toe right see you let's go home lads you know done see ya and mm. you know if and uh, Arsenal obviously will have seen that you know ready to play oh no oh, that's God. it mm. and the, the, you know it, 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 that is the Death Star coming over the over the horizon <laughs> isn't it you just say <laughs> oh no yeah and, and, and that's what Arsenal faced for too long the minute that City got with close to them it, it yeah, it's gonna. It, it, you're not gonna be able to overcome that. Yeah, big. And, yeah. and, and the other thing I should say is, Gundogan, this guy, oh, Gundogan, know, yeah, 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 is like. Uh, I mean, he he's gonna be sold this summer. That is suggested, or he's gonna leave the yeah, club. Go to Barcelona. Yeah. To your he club. will be a leading player for just about any club in Europe. Mm. Yeah, Gundogan. Okay, he's club captain. Is has been this sort of yeah you know, back office guy that no one's really noticed, you know, mm. and suddenly. He scores a brilliant um, piece of improvisation, a brilliant free kick. Um, he was the guy that engineered their escape last season against Aston Villa. That's the guy that's like your eighth, ninth best player. The player Paul Scholes dreamed of being, John? <laughs> oh, sorry, I just I was taken over by the spirit of uh, Elon's Twitter there. Um, you just have to put everything. You just, this guy is better than this guy ever was. Sorry, uh, John. Sorry about that, John. I, I want to ask uh, Lars, uh, I mean, how does it feel, uh, just from the point of view of, of a Norwegian, that the uh, best players at the two leading clubs of the Premier League are from Norway? Um, just as it was, uh, well, I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was necessarily the best player at Manchester United, but he was a key player. The last team to have done a treble, so you need to have a... Norwegian, it seems, if you if you want to do these types of things, um, has it changed Norway's national self image? To have, <laughs> to, to have that's always been very healthy. I mean, we're we're, we're quite, uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're quite. We yeah, are you you do have a high opinion of yourselves, there. So we we, we do. We're quite self satisfied. But I, th- I um, feel it can go higher. I think you've got that in your locker. We're we're, we're very humble and we're very uh, proud of how humble we are. Um, uh, Too humble to uh, point out that Ken forgot to mention Henningberg there as well. Yeah, and, no, and Ronnie Ronnie Johnson. I mean, Ronnie Johnson, King, King of the uh, injured in warm-up, Johnny Johnson. You know, his <laughs> great great player, but slightly dodgy muscles and a lot of strains. Anyway, uh, it's very strange. It's very strange because I've been here now in in England for a little while, so I do remember. It's not that many years ago. I was sort of looking around as a sort of Norwegian 
sports reporter man trying to make my way in the freelance world and it's like you know our biggest profile over here now is you know god bless him our biggest star is probably josh king like maybe alex tetty like these, these were not amazing years to be like the norwegian football man in, in london and um now it's 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 just absolutely crazy uh what these two uh young uh players have done and they're, they're so different as well which is kind of funny they're incredibly different characters both as as, as players and as, as personalities uh, and um, I guess the similarity would be that they both had had fathers who were professional players so they've got a pretty solid grounding in that sense but incredibly different characters and uh, it's, it's it's very very strange for us and I, I guess all eyes on the national team at long last surely we will reach a tournament you would think so John, uh, you were at Southampton, actually, have a Norwegian. I think Elianusi, El- right? He's yes, uh, Moy Elianusi, yeah. So, um, so they've, they've they're kitted out, fully kitted out with uh, with Norwegian. However, they've plunged into the championship. You were there to witness this. Um, I was. I only saw I, I only saw the highlights, John. But the thing that amazed me was the stadium seemed to be like half empty. It wasn't as though. I mean, was was that wrong? Was I was, uh, did I only notice this late in the game, and maybe people people have left because it just sort of seemed as though pff, the good burgers of Southampton have grown weary of the Premier League <laughs> and don't really care uh, that that their team is going down. What what was going on there? It felt like a full house before that. I think it. it I think uh, attendances have been dropping a bit, uh, along with hope and spirit. Um, now. This club uh, is its downfall. Um, I mean, you, you will recall, of course, that uh, we, these days we have Brighton, Brentford, two Paragon clubs. It was maybe 10, seven, eight, ten years ago, Southampton was that Paragon club, wasn't it, with its youth set up? What's happened here? And, um, okay, the club gets relegated. We're in a press conference. We wait for ages for Ruben Sellers to come out and give us, you know, we're all very disappointed. The interesting quote, I take responsibility for the games I was in charge, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> um, and then we, 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 we wait for a club statement, which followed later, and it's signed by the three members of Sport Republic, um, uh, Dragan Solak, Rasmus Anderson, and... Uh, Rasmus Ankerson, I Ankerson. should say. Yeah, and Henrik Kraft. And they issue this, not really an apology, but really a sort of, you know, we are, we are going to turn this ship around. And this, what Southampton became, and this is one of the reasons for their downfall, I, I believe, is Dragon Selak is the money man. He, if you're involved in TV, he's very famous for owning Premier League rights over in uh, the Balkans. And then you've got Ankerson is from the Brentford School an analytics guy and i think Kraft is maybe the uh, is maybe the business bloke as well but, you know he, he's part of this setup and there appears to be that these three set up the club you know they set up together and it didn't go well and so you've got analytics and i think analytics are very popular with your business linkedin high performance types because they can think they can sort of understand analytics it's a bit like business except it isn't, and it doesn't always work, as Southampton have proved. Now, part of the analytics movement uh, of this of this club being run on that basis was getting rid of Ralph Hausenhuttle. Well, he did average under a point a game, so, you know, OK, fair enough. The hiring of Nathan Jones, need we say more? <laughs> uh, and then 
the hiring of Ruben Sellers, a rookie, a rookie who only took responsibility from from the Chelsea game, but had been part of the coaching staff before that. So, yeah, and then some disastrous transfer business. Um, and what that left is, I, I don't know if any of you here, I'm sure, have been to a club where the relegation day comes. Uh, I went to a whole a few years ago when this happened. And it's the worst part of it is is the uncertainty on the staff that work at the club. Yeah. You know, the people that work in the kitchen or, you know, the guy that uh, lets you in on the door, the security staff, they're the people that will be affected by what goes on at this club. Footballers, I understand uh, they're down for a 40% pay reduction. Well, they're still going to be earning a lot of money. Um, the the owners, okay, they're on the they're going to have a significant deficit in the money that they're available to. But the billionaires we're talking about here anyway. But it's the spirit of the club, the spirit of the town is reduced by having their club relegated. And there's that sort of sagging atmosphere. And it's a sagging atmosphere from the very start of the game. At no point did I think Southampton were going to do anything in it. And it was almost attending a wake. And of course... Uh, another very famous person was there as well not just me yeah Rishi Sunak he's a super saint yes he is and uh, you know uh, in this country uh, uh, the Prime Minister we've had uh, we've had a lot of fake football fans Mm. Um, and uh, this starts with uh, um, Tony Blair and his uh, headers with Kevin Keegan back in the uh, back in the 90s um, Gordon Brown typically knows lots about football. He's a big football fan, but could never actually get that to marry up to his um, his PR, which is a shame because he actually does understand the game. And anyway, uh, you had David Cameron, uh, of course, uh, Villa, who actually was. You know, the, th- the funny thing about that, that Villa West Ham thing is I think what happened was he was reading out someone's speech and the bloke that wrote the speech forgot which team it was and Cameron read that out. Because Cameron being Cameron, he's so posh that his uncle was the chairman of Villa when they won the, the European Cup in 1982. Right. So it, we, he did actually support Aston Villa in a sort of... Well, I think I support them because my uncle owns them, you know. Uh, yeah, and we can, we can all relate to that. <laughs> yeah, of course we can. Of course we can. So anyway, you know, I don't think Theresa May is... A, can you remember them all, John? Can you... <laughs> Theresa May. Boris, Boris Johnson... Uh, one thing that he was honest about was that he knew nothing about football. That 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 that's true. But Rishi Sunak, you know, born in, uh, I think he's born in 1981. 1980. 1980, John. 1980. 1980. So he is he is actually a child of the Premier League. So uh, at the point where it became football, everyone had a football team from the 90s onwards, and Rishi Sunak became a Southampton fan. Had Matthew Letizia posters on his wall. Actual football fan, so he's not a fake in that regard. So um, he was there. Uh, a lot of you know uh, the Fulham fans, probably some of whom would vote for Rishi Sunak, uh, were giving him a bit of abuse. Um, and um, yeah, there was security everywhere because the, the prime minister was there. It was it was really interesting. Um, but as the stadium emptied, Rishi Saints diehard stayed to the very end to clap off the team. So there you go. Fair play to. Uh... For a play to Rich, I didn't realize there was so much authenticity there, but it's it's good to know. It's just the um, uh, the last thing I want to ask about um, Lars is 
a man over whose authenticity there has never been any doubt. Big Sam Allardyce. How <laughs> do you feel? Uh, how does it make you feel to see Big Sam back in the big time? Makes me feel excited, Ken. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, I've sort of gradually moved, you know, in the sort of footballing culture wars uh, between the nerds and the proper football men. I've, uh, you know, I'm not too proud to admit as a younger man, I will have been passionately on the side of the nerds. But but as I've grown slightly older, I've realized that the only sane uh, thing to do with this nonsense is to just step back and laugh at everyone because it's just it's so much silliness on all sides. And and I mean, I increasingly find that uh, Big Sam is a very entertaining character to have in the soap opera that is the Premier League uh, in terms of sound bites and, and in terms of everything. I'm, I'm happy he's back. And actually... You know, he leads were a little bit better against Newcastle. Getting your points against Newcastle is not something we thought they'd do. They, they looked more coherent defensively. And with, with Leicester uh, certainly going down the pan, they have a real chance of staying up. I mean, he, he's facing yet another ex-employer. There's a few of them about, but, you know, facing West Ham. And then, of course, a, dis, a disjointed Tottenham, who are probably well on the beach in the last day of the season. I, I think Big Sam can do it. Lovely stuff. John, Lars, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, lads. What does it look like? A turtle, is it? Yobs. There's an incredible podcast on at the moment produced by the second captains. Biggest load of bollocks. The second captain's show in Ireland. We're now getting to that point now where we are inspiring. The second captain's podcast. Pretty much we've done for the last 20 years. Be role models to kids. <laughs> Hey, Pat, do you want to split? Tonight, Monday Night Football, Leicester versus Liverpool. But the main event for you, Ken, given your recent hobby horse, comes before kickoff, half past six in the evening. Yeah. When Howard Webb, Chief Refereeing Officer of PGMOL, joins Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher in studio to explain some key decisions from the season using the audio of the actual VAR conversations in a feature that reportedly could become more regular next season. So I'd say you're licking your lips at that one. Oh, yeah. How how many Moyes handballs are there going to be in this? I'm going to tell you, Howard Webb could talk Peter Walton into a cocked hat. That's my prediction. Could he? He's got to be better than Walton. I mean, at least... I hope that the uh, commentary team that Howard Webb ends up working with doesn't constantly undermine him like in the way that the BT Sport lads do with Peter Walton. All right, thanks, Peter. <laughs> Every single time he comes on, it's like, I can't believe we have to talk to this guy again. It's, it's literally unbelievable. I don't know how they... like Their poorly disguised hatred for Peter Walton on that commentary team. I just... I love yeah, it. It's right. Well, we'll see how it goes for Howard Webb. We'll have Champions League semi-final coverage during the week, build up to Katie Taylor's homecoming fight, Champions Cup final preview, and our in-studio interview with the great Ronnie O'Sullivan. That's the kind of stuff you get if you're a World Service member. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. Sign up today on secondcaptains.com. You'll also hear all episodes ad-free. The Second Captains podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's the persuasion of the world outside of that. That's why sports important.